Hello and welcome back to DACA Family is Us this Saturday. Thankfully, we are past April Fool's Day now and hopefully many of you made it past without too many issues. Um, today's podcast is going to center around a very kind of sticky subject in regards to immigration that I know many people have a very hard time with. A lot of people like to make comments about it, um, say that they don't agree they disagree that they wish it would just go away um but i felt it was a need to discuss it so undocumented immigrants and the u.s economy now undocumented immigrants include every immigrant who is not a permanent resident in the u.s so anybody who does not hold a green card or residency this includes tps temporary protected status and daca um, deferred action for childhood arrival recipients so um it includes anybody who holds any status other than permanent residency within the United States. So, um, let's get into it. Americans would prefer that immigrants come to the U.S. legally, which I understand the concept, yes, but looks so much better on paper than it does in reality. And that is understandable. Um, In actuality, in my current university class, I'm taking an ethics um, I am taking an ethnic relations and multicultural, um, class and it's, so it's, um, essentially an ethics class in this class that I'm taking, uh, we take a diverse, uh, discussion prompt every week. We have to respond to two and the one that we just came off of last week, the weekly topic that we just came off last week was about immigration. Um, we were asked essentially this exact question. Um, the specific scenario was you are sitting in a coffee shop enjoying your beverage of choice and chatting away with your group of friends. One person in your group asks you the following question. Why don't immigrants come to the United States legally? How would you respond and explain? My response was that immigration is not so cut and dry. We cannot exactly We cannot say exactly how we would do something if we were in someone else's shoes because we're not in their shoes. We were born here. We were lucky enough to be born here. Um, We have that freedom. We don't have to worry about making that decision or that choice. Um, Yet we want to judge others on how they arrive in the U.S. Many of my peers in my class when they were making these discussion prompts when they were answering it, um, they kind of thought the same thing as well. Um, many of them thought, you know, I agree. I don't, I don't think that I could have made that decision. I don't, you know, I don't think that if I ever had to make a decision on if, you know, we had to pay for this thing or eat, you know, kind of like here in the U S if you feel like you have to make your decision between paying your bills or eating is a very tough choice. And who knows in a different country, it may be even tougher than that. At least here we have resources. Who's to say that in other countries, they may not have those resources. Um, so that the choices someone has to make to come to the U.S. with their family cannot be thought of by us in any specific way. Uh, many thought that this type of conversation was uncomfortable, but they, uh, but they agreed that it was true and that these types of conversations have to happen Maybe not in that type of public situation, um, but that they believe that those types of things have to happen because those conversations are important. 
um, getting people aware of what's going on and what, you know, what's happening in the world was important to them. Um, many leave their country, their home country, whether it be Mexico or anything else, because there are undocumented immigrants in the U.S. who are not Mexican. They're not from Mexico. They're not Hispanic. They're not Latino, Latina. Um, you know, they're not from anywhere in South America, Central America, Mexico, anywhere um, down that way. There are people from Africa. There's people from Asia. There's people from Europe even, you know. There's people from other countries that are here in the U.S. undocumented because they've come over and they've overstayed their visas or uh, they've come up on, you know, they've come to the U.S. on a fiance visa and then decided not to get married uh, and then just stayed. So, I mean, there are people here that are undocumented who did not come. They came and then did not stay for the, you know, what they were supposed to. Um, so their reasons for being here are different, but we cannot say that the choices that people make are purely bad choices. Like we always say that people came over, you know, they, they came over the border because they just wanted to break the law. That's not true. Um, I know for Carlos, his family, they came over the first time when they came over, it was because the, you know, the family wanted to be together. They were tired of his dad being gone for months at a time working the agriculture, you know, in agriculture. Um, and they wanted to be together. And then the second time when they came over is because their mom couldn't, um, their mom already had a life for them up here. She had, you know, things set up here for them ready to go. And their dad was up here, obviously. And so, you know, she wanted them to come back up here. So we can't, we can't say what choices we would have made in those situations. We don't know what's going on in their home country. We can read the news. We can read the newspapers. We can see it. We can watch it. We can do all those things. We have no idea what's going on. Um, many leave because they need a better life for themselves or the children, their family. They feel they cannot wait the 10, the 15, the 20 plus years that it may take to receive a visa to arrive in the U.S., and sometimes it takes that long. There are people that I know in some of my groups, in my immigration groups on Facebook, that are, you know, they're at that 10-year mark. They're waiting. They're in that 15-year mark. They're waiting. Oh. Sorry. There's people that are at that 20-plus-year mark who are waiting. Um, parents who applied for their siblings who, you know, it's 20 plus years later and the sibling ended up dying. And so the application is forfeited at that point. It is hard. And there it, it's years to go. And if you don't have a connection to the U.S., you don't really have a right to apply is essentially how the U.S. finds it. Whereas me, if I want to go visit Mexico, all I have to do is get my passport, hop on a plane and say, hey, I'm going to Mexico. It's not the same thing for somebody else to come here. They can't just get their passport and say, hey, I'm hopping on a plane and I'm going to visit the U.S. They have to, you know, prove that they're going to go back to their country. They have to submit an application. They have to submit money. They have to go do all these different things to be able to come to the U.S. Whereas for me, if I want to go visit Mexico, it's as simple as saying, hey, I'm going. I'm taking my passport. I'm going. That's it. 
Um, I have received this this question many times with Carlos. This, uh, why can't they come legally to the U.S.? Why didn't they come legally to the U.S.? I can't answer that because I've never asked his mom. I've never asked his dad. Um, but anybody who has asked has to understand that they may think that immigrate that uh, undocumented immigrants may cause a strain on America. And in some ways, that may be true. Um, there may be bad people that come across. There may be, you know, some things that happen that aren't okay. But they also promote great things in America. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So, um, it is estimated that there are about 11 plus million individuals living in the U.S. without legal status who are working paying taxes and contributing in both economic and non-economic ways to their community. And I'm focusing today just on the undocumented immigrants. There are a bunch of green card holders in the U.S. There are a bunch of um, different visa status immigrants in the U.S. And, and that is perfectly fine. I am not demeaning them in any way. I'm so happy that they have their status. I'm specifically on the undocumented part just because Carlos has DACA and that's just where we're at in our process. Um, and so I just wanted to shed some light on what they do because that's where, you know, that's where he falls in his documentation. So there are 11 plus million individuals living in the U.S. without legal status who are working, paying taxes and contributing in many ways. They sometimes start their own businesses like Carlos and I did, Arte Perdida. They play integral integral parts in agriculture, construction, hospitality, and other industries that are essential to the U.S. economy. Um, for instance, by the time we reach 2050, 30% of the population will be Latino. Uh, whether through birth or immigration, 30% of the population will be Latino. Um, white people will be the minority. Minority people will be the majority. Um, there'll be so many of them that they'll be the majority at that point. And Latinos will be holding at least one third of the numbers. A huge part that fuels the economy is DACA. So what Carlos has, deferred action for childhood arrivals, they fuel a huge part of the U.S. economy. Um, and they have for the last almost 10 years that they, that it's been up, um, DACA eligible people contribute millions, maybe billions of dollars to the U.S. economy. Um, anytime protection is scaled back on DACA recipients or anytime, for instance, like that judge in Texas, every single time he pauses it uh, for new applicants or, you know, people to reapply, um, renew their DACA, that causes a stall. It causes problems in extra economic funds. So these upsets can cause issues for local ec local economies, communities, and schools. So anything that causes a disruption in money flow will cause extra issues within things that that money should be going to. So if, for instance, let's say um, your DACA recipient can't not renew their DACA work permit, they're not able to go to work. Technically, they're not supposed to go to work. That means they're not making money, which means they cannot contribute to society. They cannot make money to go out and buy groceries. They cannot make money to go out and pay bills. They cannot make money to go and pay their taxes. Therefore, that money is not being shuffled back into the economy. It's not being given to the stores. It is not being taken to the farmer's market. 
it is not being cycled back into the economy and therefore that is hurting the system. If they own a home, if the DACA recipient owns a home and they're behind on their mortgage, that hurts the mortgage and therefore hurts the schools because they're not able to pay the taxes and that tax money goes to the schools. So anytime money issues, anytime that something is stalled with DACA, that hurts anything that has to do with the economy, the community, and schools. It also hurts employers and businesses who rely on DACA recipients as workers and customers, as I just mentioned, because they're unable to make money or spend money at that point. Um, for instance, when Carlos had his, uh, when he tried to renew DACA a handful of years ago, um, early 2017, we had just moved from our apartment in DeSoto to our duplex in Olathe. We had sent our his renewal in several months beforehand when we were supposed to. We sent it actually several weeks before we were supposed to. So we sent it on time. Um, we sent it when we were supposed to. We sent it on time. And then uh, it was supposed to be sent back to us in April. It did not come to us in April. Or, sorry, it was supposed to be sent to us in March, for him in March. It did not get sent to us in March. He did not get it back until end of April, beginning of May. He was out of work for over a month because he could not go back to work. Therefore, he was not making money. That money did not go into our bills. It did not go into our home. It could not go to our food. We had to rely on other things and other people. We, we, were, we were out a lot of money because he couldn't go to work because he didn't have DACA because the system was so backed up then. Because President Trump had just come into office, and I think a lot of people were so worried about DACA being taken away that so many people sent their applications in just to get that last-minute um, application renewals. And so when we sent our actual application in for him to get it because he was supposed to, because it was his actual time to send it in, um, it got kind of set on the back burner. Because everybody was scared. Everybody was so worried. <clears throat> um, so we were out that money. So um, that stalled money for us, which meant money was not going to where it was supposed to be going, which meant um, his employer was out of money for him. They had to, you know, find somebody else to come work for him. Uh, we were not able to use money to pay for things. So as a consumer, we were out money. So that's kind of, <coughs> sorry, that's kind of the situation um, from other DACA recipients who every time DACA is stalled or renewals are stalled or new DACA applications are not allowed, that type of thing happens. Um, because there are a lot more people who are eligible for DACA who cannot apply for DACA, mm -hmm. they, they, they were probably afraid to apply for DACA in the beginning. They tried to apply for it again because they were still eligible. And unfortunately, the judge in Texas kept that from happening and therefore they were forced to keep it in pause again. Um, something to know, so back to, so back to, my, back to my prompt. Um, something to know is that there are about 1.25, 
So 1.25 million DACA eligible residents. So when I say eligible, that means DACA recipients and eligible people who could have qualified for DACA, but for some reason did not apply. Um, 93% of them are in the workforce. So that is, that is a, a lot. Um, they're not just randomly doing nothing. They are working. They are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, the amount of federal taxes being paid is $2.2 billion, And the state taxes being paid are $1.8 billion. There are also studies that show undocumented immigrants are actually not displacing U.S.-born workers. So that was a huge huge worry for a lot of U.S. citizens, and I know that's a, a lot of people say that to me as well, is U.S.-born workers are um, being displaced that, you know, Mexicans coming across the border are taking their jobs, and they're worried. Um, and honestly, the joke is, is that if the Mexican coming across the border who doesn't speak English is taking your job, then you obviously weren't very good at your job to begin with, but um, they're not actually taking your positions. They're not displacing U.S.-born workers. They are actually filling in jobs that Americans are not interested in pursuing in the first place, such as hired field and crop workers. Um, so like agricultural jobs, the hard, sweaty, busy work, um, like a farm work. In 2018, so when... The source that I got this from, most of this information was taken in 2018. So in 2018, 14% of undocumented workers worked in agriculture, 12% worked in construction, 10% in administrative support, 7% in tourism, hospitality, and food services, so like hotels or hospitals, um, and 6% in general services. What is most interesting is that a lot of people claim that undocumented immigrants commit a lot of U.S. crimes. I hear that a lot. And yes, technically, if you want to be specific, they committed a crime by crossing the border undocumented. Yes, we could say that. But they are not criminals by definition because they have not done anything against another person. Um, they have not hurt another person. They have not done something against another person that is going to cause them pain, death, sorrow. So, yet there are going to be parts of each racial makeup that um, commit crimes. So white people, black people, Asians, all of that. There's going to be somebody who commits crimes in each kind of racial identity. It doesn't matter what the citizenship status of that person is. There's going to be somebody somewhere. Instead of committing crimes, the vast majority of undocumented immigrants in this country are working and paying into our tax system. They are not ever going to be able to pull from it, ever. Like Carlos, he will never be able to pull from his Social Security, ever. He's paying into it. It's coming out of his paychecks every week. He will never get to pull from it. Um, and because they're ineligible for most federal benefits, uh, experts have long argued that they are, they are net contributors to the Medicare and Social Security programs, which, again, they will not be able to pull from, ever. The only benefits that an undocumented immigrant would ever be able to touch is for their U.S. citizen sh child, if they have one, which their child is allowed to have. Their child is due. So let's say, for instance, insurance, state insurance. Their child is due state insurance, no different than my child would be due state insurance. Um, people kind of see feel like that's unfair, but their child was born here. 
their child is allowed that. They're, they do not get it just because their child gets it. I don't get state insurance just because my child gets it. No different than them. Um, as of 2018, there were a little over 800,000 uh, undocumented immigrants who owned their own businesses. Um, again, Carlos and I own our own business. It's called Arte Perdida. Um, it is not LLC'd. So I don't know if these businesses that are numbered here are LLC'd or not. But uh, that number actually is, is pretty astounding. I know quite a few people who, um, in my Facebook groups, that own their own businesses. And, and they're probably some of the happiest people in the world. So let's weigh these numbers with the cost of deportation. So the direct cost to the federal government for essentially a mass deportation would be about $400, $400 billion dollars. The labor force would shrink over 6%, and that may not seem like a lot, but when you think about the numbers, it is a lot of people. The GDP would reduce by $1.6 trillion, and the U.S. economy would shrink by almost 6%. Everyone would also have to understand that if we did miraculously deport the 8.1 million undocumented immigrants in the workforce, we would not automatically be able to create those 8.1 million jobs for the Americans. They would not be just randomly open. Um, if you get rid of those people that are in those positions, the, the jobs may crash. The, the people who have those jobs, those businesses may crash. Um, not to mention the U.S. citizen family members who would have to follow them or who ch would choose to follow them. By shrinking the numbers of consumers, entrepreneurs, and taxpayers uh, by deportation would shrink our economy and the number of jobs available. So if jobs have to, if, if companies have to close because they've lost so many employers or employees or um, they're unable to fill those positions and so they have to give other employees those positions as well, like kind of smush positions together, it becomes hard. <laughs> it, it becomes a hard thing and it, it, it creates employees who are burnt out and it creates angered employees and it's just going to make for a very angry America. Um, also, as mentioned, many immigrants work in the fields in jobs that most Americans haven't wanted, as I mentioned above. So we would have to find workers who would be willing to go out and do those jobs instead of the immigrants who are currently working them. Um, and I remember a handful of, I can't remember what year it was, uh, two years ago, three years ago, where they had said something about how some of the immigrants weren't able to come back on their agricultural visas. And so they were um, forced to find workers to work the fields and some of the people just refused they had hired a bunch of people and the workers just didn't show up how, like how you hire the employees they don't show up what do you expect what do you expect if if most americans don't want these jobs and and they're not working them how do you expect to find workers who are going to go out and do these jobs and actually show up for these positions when you've gotten rid of everybody else. So these workers may not be 
taking, they may not be displacing U.S. born workers or taking the workers from U.S. citizens, but the U.S. citizens aren't really working towards any positions anyways. Um, yet, get back, get off my little soapbox, get back to my prompts again. Um, yet, if we decided to provide a pathway to green cards or even citizenship, so you'd have to get the green cards first and then to onto the citizenship, then those who work, pay taxes, and have kept their noses clean, um, it'll help to boost productivity and earnings for the immigrants which would also boost the economy, consumer spending, and tax revenue, um, since helping federal, state, and local governments offset associated costs. $1.4 trillion in estimated GDP growth due to legislation, $68 billion additional state and local tax revenue that would result from legislation, um, sorry, would result from legalization within a decade, and an additional $116 billion in federal tax revenue as a result as well. So as you can tell, there'd be a lot more money coming in if we helped immigrants who weren't doing anything wrong except for working here than if we tr- attempted to deport a lot of them. Um, now again, I mentioned these numbers are a few years old, but they still hold true. So... What is the U.S. waiting for? Why are we avoiding what we could help, what we know could help our country and help families in our country? What could help families like my family? Why are we avoiding it? I mean, I know families like mine have come out and talked to people in power. We have pushed and talked and spoken and said these exact same things. So, what do you think? Do you think mass deportation of everyone, regardless of who they are, what they're doing, how good they are, is beneficial? Or mass legalization, or at least a legislation for those doing everything they need to do in a right way, would be beneficial? Kind of, what is your idea? What do you think, how do you think would be more helpful to the U.S.? I'd like to hear your thoughts. If you want to send my me a comment somewhere. Um, otherwise, I'll see you all again next week. Have a great week.